so that you might understand it and, Lord willing, embrace it as meaningful, not meaningless. Not meaningless. So the why, we'll start there. Well, I believe that Scripture implies it. I believe that Scripture implies it. As John Piper just mentioned, if you're looking for a specific verse in the Bible that says membership in the local church must be formal and all Christians must submit to the process of or official process of membership, you are not going to find anything like that. Okay? So let's just start with that. It's not there. There is no verse I can look at and say that's it. But I also don't see anything in Scripture that forbids or prohibits it as a church practice. You can't show me anything that forbids this process or says this is wrong. You know, I I always find this interesting. We have multiple things that we do in the local church that you can't find a Bible verse for. Ushers. There's no usher ministry in the Bible. You know why we have ushers? Because we want to be hospitable. So that we see in the Bible. We see the principle. Now we have to apply the principle. Okay, how do we get at that? Well, we'll have ushers. But I never see anybody coming up to me saying, you know what, I don't believe in ushers because you can't show me a verse in the Bible that says usher ministry. No one ever has a problem with that. Church membership, on the other hand, people get a little bit crazy about. Okay, and they want you to prove it or show it by a particular verse. We have nursery. Many of you are very, very happy that we have nursery ministry. And many of you are not because you work in there. You guys, you guys do such a great job, I'll tell you, loving our children. But there's nowhere in the Bible that it talks about nursery ministry. But we do that because we want all things to be in order. <laughs> and we don't want people to be distracted. And so we think it would be better for the kids who get upset to have a place where they can get upset and it doesn't cause distraction everywhere else. So it's not in the Bible, but there's no prohibition against it. And even though it's not explicitly stated, that just means not clearly stated, church membership, okay, official church membership, I believe that there are solid biblical arguments that are made by many good Bible teachers, such as John Piper and others, that it is implicit. It's not explicit, but it is implicit. So what does that mean? It just means that it's capable of being understood from something else, though unexpressed. Or to say it another way, It is involved in the nature or essence of something, though not revealed, expressed, or developed. This is what I mean by Scripture implies church membership. Now let's consider just a few examples, and I said this would be brief, so we can't cover every possibility this morning, but a few that I think are important. And by the way, no one passage alone that we'll look at this morning is overwhelming evidence for church membership. So just... Right at the beginning, that's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to be able to look at one passage and you go, well, that, that doesn't convince me. It doesn't convince me either. But it's the abundance of Scripture that makes the argument stronger and more convincing to me that church, formal church membership is important and should be part of the local church. So I'm just going to breeze through some Scriptures. They're going to pop up on the screen. You don't have to turn to them, but if you want to, of course, try to keep up. Acts 20:28. 20, Acts 20.28. And I want to just show you how the church is defined, what it's, what it's pictured as. Three ways. First, it's pictured as a flock. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves in Acts 20.28 and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. By the way, he's talking to the elders of a local church. 
not universal, but a local church. He says, pay careful attention to all yourselves, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you. Who did that? The Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for who? The church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The word flock is regularly used in the scriptures to refer to Christians. Sheep. Sheep is also another way that Christians are referred to, a flock of sheep. And pastors or elders, the leadership in a church, are often referred to as shepherds. Shepherds of sheep, those who care for sheep or a flock. You see that in 1 Peter 5 too, a reference to shepherds. Besides a flock, what else is a church pictured as? It's pictured as a body. John Piper mentioned this in 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Speaking again here without having to go through all, all, all the text, but trust me, you can read it if you want to later on. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And the body there is a reference to the local church. And then Paul goes on to talk about there's feet and there's eyes and there's noses and so on and so forth. And he's, he's trying to, in that particular context, he's exhorting them that, listen, guys, you look down on certain members or pieces of the body, but the body is a unit. It needs all of its members, and they're all important. And, but the point is that the local church is referred to as a body, okay? As a flock, as a body with many members, hands, eyes, feet. It's also referred to as a building, 1 Peter 2.5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Flock, body, building. Now listen to this quote. Each of these word pictures, the ones I just talked about, so vital to our understanding of the church, demand more than a casual commitment from the individual. There are no informally connected stones in a building. They are cemented together unambiguously. That means unmistakably. There's no doubt in any minds that those anybody's mind that those stones are locked together in permanence. Sheep do not hop from flock to flock. To refer to the body of Christ as a flock, and then to think that people could church hop or dabble here or dabble there, makes no sense to the illustration then. Sheep don't go from one shepherd to the next shepherd. They are part of a flock. The sheep shepherd knows how many sheep are in his flock, and he's responsible to care for his flock and no one else's. And they are responsible to remain in that flock and stay committed to it. Body parts do not relate to each other informally. They are intricately connected to each other and are mutually dependent. And then the writer goes on to say, surely we best reflect these metaphors or pictures, that is the body and the flock and the building, when we formally tie ourselves to a local congregation. Just something to think about. So that's the first thought I want you to put into your mind. The nature of the church means that Christians should have, and I quote another writer, more than a willy-nilly, informal, loosey-goosey, superficial affiliation. Let me say that to you again. The nature of the church implies that Christians should have more than a willy-nilly, informal, loosey-goosey, superficial affiliation. 
the nature of the church. I believe part of the problem for some is the local church is not valued as highly as it ought to be. They just don't think it's really that important, and therefore a commitment to it, a formal commitment, is not considered that important or high on their value scale. Well, let's keep moving on. Just keep an open mind. Keep thinking this through a little bit. Let's consider some more scripture. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. Here, this is the reference to what we talked about or uh, was on the video a little bit earlier. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, the local church. He says, For what I have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Just a... Anyway, we won't go down that road. God judges those outside, and then he says, purge the evil person from among you. Paul was exhorting the church in Corinth to put out, put out one of its members because of his ongoing and unrepentant sexual immorality. Okay, that's the context. That's what's going on. The church had and has a responsibility to hold accountable sinning members, unrepentant sinning members who refuse correction and stubbornly continue in whatever that sin is. That might be news to some of you, but it is biblical. So the writer here, I quoted this writer in regard to this passage. He says this. Now think about this, guys. Paul called upon the Corinthian church to judge those who were inside the church, not those who were outside. They were responsible, the church, for the testimony of those who belonged to the church, not those who didn't. This passage makes no sense if the Corinthian church didn't have some public, formal means by which people identified themselves with the church. It makes no sense. How would you know who's inside the church and outside the church if there wasn't some formal way of identifying those people? And and just so you understand, when he talks about being inside the church and outside the church, these are not references to being inside of a physical building and outside of a physical building, but rather being inside the visible Christian community or the local church. So how do I know who is really part of that local church? Should I just assume that everyone who's sitting in a chair inside of this particular building is within that local church? I can't do that. Regular attendance on Sunday was not what Paul meant by those inside the church. That's not what he meant. He could not have meant that. It had to be more than that because believers, unbelievers that is, or outsiders certainly could have been part of the attendance of that church. Think of this also. Another quote. The result of the church discipline, which is what they did with this man, is the removal of the sinner from the congregation. That's how far it went. Ultimately, this man would not repent. So because of that, he had to be removed. This necessarily implies the presence of a formal membership. How else could someone be removed if they did not belong in a formal sense in the first place? That's what John was saying. How would you remove somebody? And he just says, you can't remove me from nothing. I just go here. 
I'm not, I'm not a member of this body. So how do you remove someone from an organization they were never really a part of? And how can anybody be brought under discipline by an organization unless they are or did in some prior formal process acknowledge their membership in that organization? All of this implies, beloved, formal church membership, that the church had some process by which it identified those who were in and those who were not in. And it wasn't simply attendance to a church meeting that identified them that way. Okay? It couldn't have been. It doesn't make sense if it was. We have another reference by Paul here in 2 Corinthians 2, another reference to church discipline. Church in Corinth had a lot of problems, by the way. Chapter 2, verse 6, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Remember, he's speaking to the church in Corinth, not to an individual, but to the church. He's talking about this man who had been disciplined, and he says, apparently this man had repented, so now it's time to welcome him back in. Don't continue to keep him out. You're going to crush this man. Now, the writer says this about this reference to the majority. He says, the church in Corinth excluded an unrepentant sinner by the will of the majority. Majority. Which presupposes a defined group of people. You can't have a majority or or even a whole without first identifying who that whole is. All of whom together had the right to act as a church. Now, beloved, those who are not actually in the church have no right to be disciplining someone in the church who is in unrepentant sin. But how are we going to identify who's in and who's out unless there's some formal process of church membership? Well, it would be very difficult. It makes it very, very difficult. So I think for all of those reasons, and there are more, Scripture certainly implies an official church membership. Without it, many of the things that we are asked to do as a local church, as a body, as a pastor, become almost impossible without church membership, official church membership. How about this? Maybe you're not convinced yet, but let's keep moving through. Shepherding necessitates it. Scripture implies it. Shepherding necessitates it. By shepherding, I mean pastoring. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. Here we go again. Peter, the apostle Peter says, I exhort the elders, shepherds, pastors. It's the same thing. When you see elders, pastors, think pastors. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter himself, identifying himself as an elder or a shepherd or a pastor, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here it is. Shepherd the flock of God. So who are these pastors supposed to shepherd? Whoever shows up on Sunday morning? They're to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising what? Oversight. Not under, by the way, supervision. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Way too many pastors do that. 
but eagerly, not domineering over, what's the Bible say? Those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Right? High calling for pastors, high responsibility. Now there's two things here I want you to think about from that passage. How is a pastor or an elder or a shepherd all the same thing, biblically speaking? How is he supposed to fulfill this obligation, according to the word, unless he knows who is part of the flock of God among him? And how will he know that without some formal process of church membership? How will he know that, guys? Simply assuming whoever comes into the church and sticks around is part of the flock is neither realistic nor wise. For every church has people who attend and have yet to give their lives to Christ. And let me say we welcome them. We want them here. I would love to have this place filled with people who are, who are in the process of thinking through giving their lives to Christ. I'm good with that. But they are not yet the flock of God just because they're in the building. Beyond that, there are also those who profess Christianity, saying, I believe, I follow Jesus Christ, but they do not possess Christianity. They are really not believers. They may not even know it. It's not that they're lying. They don't even know they're not believers because no one's ever told them what that really means. They think just because they raised their hand one time when some evangelist was telling them, you want to get saved? Raise your hand right now and you pray this prayer. Bingo, it's magic, baby. You're saved. That's all they know about being saved or being a Christian. And they think they're a Christian, but the reality is they never really committed to the Lord. They really didn't understand what they were doing. Their life hasn't changed one iota. No evidence in their life, but they think they're Christians. Are they the flock of God? They are not. Not yet. Not yet. Formal membership helps bring clarity to pastors like myself to know who the flock are and who I'm responsible for. Okay? Let me read you this quote. For whom must the leaders of the church give account? The citizens of their city? That's 80,000 people in Fontana. Anyone who ever attends their church? So if you walk through the doors once, I'm responsible for you? Of course not. They must be accountable for the members of the church, those whom everyone recognizes has been committed to their care. Church leaders cannot function properly without church membership. They just can't. Not biblically speaking. Now, they may function, but I'm not sure it's biblically without church membership. Second, how is a pastor supposed to faithfully exercise over or exercise oversight, that is, I said earlier, supervision, over someone who has never officially given permission to them to do that or formally submitted to their leadership, especially when oversight could include the use of church discipline? Now, beloved, maybe that's the first time you've even heard the word church discipline, and that makes you very nervous because you associate discipline with what happened in your home 
when you were a child, and that may or may not have been a holy thing. But church discipline is in the Bible, and it is to be done by churches. Although most of us can't even think of an example of it happening because most churches have abandoned it. Now, I'm not going to get into critiquing other churches or trying to put them down and saying, you know, they're in sin. I don't know the motivations. I don't know these men's hearts who have abandoned church discipline. I will just say I, I think and believe it is a mistake to abandon it. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, we're not going to look at the text, there is a three-step process that many we refer to for church discipline designed, beloved, to bring about repentance in a sinning member. That's what church split discipline is for. Remember I told you the other week, churches don't talk about sin anymore either? Well, beloved, what are we doing here? We want to... We want to get rid of our sin. We want to crucify our sin. We want to become changed people for the glory of God. Church discipline is part of that process. It is a gift that God gave the church to make sure that process is really taking place. So when you have a sinning member who continues willfully to sin in whatever it is, this process is designed to bring about repentance, to cause them to... Flee from the sin, right? That's what we want to do. Flee from it and turn to righteousness. It is not a process, and maybe it has been used this way by churches, certainly by cults. We can all probably think of a cult that has used this process to control their people or hurt their people, but it is not designed to punish someone, but to protect them and the church and the testimony of that church and to advance reconciliation and restoration in that church. That's what church discipline's for. Let me read you this quote. The discipline process is one of the greatest gifts Christ has given his church. You know what? Let me just, real quick. How many of you know children who aren't disciplined? What do they look like? <laughs> what did you say? Me? I hope not, brother. Yeah. Okay, I don't have to say any more, anything more about that. Church discipline is supposed to be something that is wise, that is used. And, and most parents would say, you know what, your kid needs some discipline. And of course, I don't, you know, it depends on how you're defining that. That doesn't mean beatings and being whipped and put into a closet. But the kid needs some discipline. Well, the church needs discipline. Church members need discipline sometimes. He says, the fact of the matter is that no church can do this process, that is church discipline, if there is no formal membership in the local assembly. For one of the steps in the process to make the offenders accountable to the local church if, if they refuse to repent. It's the last step. It's the most serious step. But we don't go there immediately. We try, we're trying to bring about reconciliation, restoration, repentance prior to this step. But it is in there. It is that third step that the offender is expected now to listen to the accountability of the church. Why would anyone heed the exhortation and the rebuke of the local church if they are not a member of that church? If there's no formal member, church membership in such an instance then the discipline process has no teeth or bite whatsoever. 
And if that's the case, then all individual accountability goes out the window. There is no accountability in that church. There cannot be. Not, with any, not in any real, meaningful, weighty sense. And that's the truth, beloved. So, Scripture implies it, right? That's what I believe. Scripture implies it. Shepherding necessitates it. Submission presupposes it. Presupposes it. Presuppose means to require something as a prior condition. To require something as a prior condition. I can't do this without that. Scripture commands Christians to submit to their leaders in the church. You can look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, but this morning we're also going to look at Hebrews 13, 17. This is what the Word of God says. Obey your leaders. Beloved, we can make application of this to leaders in general, but the context is leaders in the church. That's what he's talking about. That's the context. That's what's going on. He's not talking about leaders at work. You can make that application. But right here we're talking about leaders in the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Your employer is not keeping watch over your souls. That's not the context. The shepherds, the pastors are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You, you understand that responsibility? I have to give an account for everyone who is in the flock of God that I'm shepherding. I have to give an account for them before God someday. How did you do it, Jeremy? How did you shepherd my people? Let them do this, the writer says. Let the shepherds do this with joy. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would not be of no advantage to you. Now listen, this is what one writer says, another quote. The only way to do that, that is submit to the leaders, the only way to do that is by publicly committing to be members of their flock and saying, in effect, I commit to listening to your teaching, following your direction, and submitting to your leadership. There's no way to obey the scriptural commands to submit to your leaders if you never actually submit to them by joining a local church. So, one writer goes on to say, this isn't up there, I'll just read it to you. If someone in the congregation refuses to become a church member, then why should they have to obey and submit to any of the leaders in any given local church? Why should they? They could simply shrug off such binding accountability at any time with the retort, I don't have to do what they tell me, I'm not a member of that church. This writer goes on to say, such a cavalier attitude on the part of any footloose and fancy-free Christian is not good. And the end result for such a professing believer is just as the Hebrew author said, it is no advantage to you. It is no advantage to you. There, well, we're going to get to it later. I'll say it now because I can say it again. God has worked out the sanctifying process for his church And part of that process is submission to a local church and the authority that God has established there. 
That's what the scriptures teach. So how do I know who submitted to that authority? There has to be some formal membership, some formal process that says, hey, I've signed the line. I've covenanted with this church. I agree. One of the questions on our membership application is, what does it mean to come under the loving rule of the elders? What does that mean? What does that mean? Do you understand that's what you're doing? And if not, then how are you saying you're submitting? How can you say you're submitting to the elders that rule over you, to the leaders who have to give an account for your soul? How how can you really say you're doing that when you stand back at a distance and say, well, I attend here, but hey, I'm not a member. You don't have any authority over me. Is that submission? It's not. So why don't people become members? Let's talk about that. This is the why not, okay? Well, one reason not to become a member of the flock of God, formally, in a local church, is because they're not saved. So let me just get that out of the way. If you're not saved, then certainly, let's talk about that first. And sometimes the membership process reveals that. We've had people fill out applications And we ask them to give their testimony or tell us how it was you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we know or we guess or suspect by their answer that they never really have. They may say something like, I grew up Christian or I've always gone to church. Well, neither of those things makes you a Christian. So in the process of applying for membership, it gives us an opportunity to talk to them about salvation. So that's great. And it gives us a chance then to talk to them about real membership because now they can become a member of the body of Christ and now they can become a member of that local body here at Summit. But part of the reason also that people don't become members is previous experiences, previous experiences. So here's what I mean by that. Many are just not familiar with the concept whatsoever, okay, because they're new to the church way of life. So maybe that's some of you today. You just, this Christian thing is new to you. You've never heard about membership. And so I don't talk about it every week. We don't bring members up every week. So this may be the first time you're hearing all this. So it's not that you're rebelling. You're not resisting. You just didn't even know it existed. You didn't even know there was anything to it. But now I'm giving you some information to consider in that regard. Also, for some, they've been in the church life for a while, but the churches they've gone to didn't have church membership or didn't emphasize it. And or they even said it wasn't important or they even said it wasn't biblical, which I completely disagree with, obviously. And so that's been your past experience. So you don't understand what's the big deal about church membership. Why do we keep having people come up and do this? Also, there are some of you who have had a bad experience with a former church, maybe more than one. In fact, I know that is the case for some of you. Some of you, by the way, have had that bad experience, but you still became members here. But for some of you, it may be keeping you very hesitant about becoming a member. Because the, because the pastors are supposed to you know, care for your soul, or that should have been what happened, but instead, in many cases, they manipulated or intimidated their flock. Okay? Pastors do really bad things. Churches can do some really bad things to people. And I can't begin to tell you how many bad stories, horrific stories I have heard about people's previous church experience. It's uh, heartbreaking. 
Now, that is every reason, beloved, to choose a church to commit to very wisely, very carefully. Not to choose a church based on the building, how nice the building is, or the fact that they have a playground for your kids. Those things are cool, but in the end, those things are not the most important by far. So it is important to think this through before committing yourself, but it is no reason... It is no reason, beloved, this bad past experience to not commit yourself here now as members of Summit Bible Church unless you feel this is an unbiblical church. And if you feel this is an unbiblical church, then you should stop attending immediately and you should find a church committed to obeying Christ and God's word. Wouldn't that be the only wise thing to do? If this is an unbiblical church, why would you stay? I mean, our children's ministry is great, but we have to put 23 kids in one room. We we don't even have that much to offer. I can't believe that's what's keeping you here. Candy, you do a fantastic job with what we have. You do a fantastic job. I hope that you stay here because you believe this is a biblical church. Let me also add that people have had bad marriages that end in divorce, but ultimately they remarry. Many of them do. They make another formal commitment. Why do they do that? I would imagine it's because they think the marriage process is important. Even though they've had a bad past experience, they do it again. For God's people, the formal membership process in a local church is important. Wow. Wow. Okay, let's go fast. Personal differences. Sometimes we don't enter into membership because of previous experience. Sometimes because of personal differences. You might have an issue with Summit's doctrinal statement, what we believe, what we teach, or the church's constitution, how we're governed, how we operate, or the way we do ministry called philosophy of ministry. If that is the case, you need to ask yourself this question, why are there differences? Why there are differences between us and, and or between those things and between you. Are they minor issues or are they core doctrinal issues? Minor or secondary issues or having a difference in preferences such as music should not be a reason to refrain from applying for membership. One writer says this, Maybe a given church has good theology, but the music played and sung is not the style or brand of choice. Or the attire is too stuffy or casual. Could go either way. In such instances, if the church is an advocate to the basics of preaching, discipling, praying, and serving in a godly manner, then the mature thing to do would be to set aside your personal preferences and join the church in a committed manner. I couldn't agree more with the statement, and I'm quoting it because I couldn't have said it better. However, If your differences are with core doctrinal issues, then you have a couple of options. One, you may need to consider plugging into another church that you can more fully agree with and become a committed member of. That is an option. But you should also consider the possibility that you might be wrong in what you believe about a core doctrinal issue. That could be a possibility, right? This means you need to maintain a humble and teachable spirit, which we don't like to do. We don't want to be humble. We don't want to be teachable. 
We need to ask God what he might be trying to teach us in that situation. Why does he have us here? And maybe he is trying to teach you that you have bad theology in a particular area because that happens to everyone on occasion. That's a possibility too. Let me say this. Looking for the perfect church is an exercise in futility, foolishness, vanity. It is useless because it doesn't exist. And if it did exist and you or I joined it, It just wouldn't be so perfect anymore. If a church holds to the fundamentals of the faith and is doing its very best and always striving to do better, to be faithful to the word of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, then there is no reason, beloved, to hold back on making a formal commitment to that local body. There's just no good reason. How about popular resistances? And we'll finish here. The last one. Several reasons why people don't apply for membership. Sometimes just previous experiences. Sometimes it's personal differences. And lastly, popular resistances. That is a word, by the way. I looked it up. Many people resist commitment like it is a deadly disease. How many women know this? Not that you don't, not that you resist commitment, but you know people who resist commitment. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that because you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Our society is filled with examples of this, right? People want to do what they want, when they want, and they don't like any obligation and responsibility that comes with commitment. They don't want it. Well, let me ask you this, okay? Just think this through. If one of your kids, and if you don't have children, assume for a second that you do, One of your kids told you that they didn't need to commit to marriage with their significant other. That they didn't need a piece of paper to prove their love. They just are going to live together. Okay? Would you say to them, hey, that's cool. Uh, Formal commitment, marriage, it's really overrated anyway. It is really just some oppressive obligation that has no real value. If you love them, that's all that matters. You have my blessing. Is that what you would tell them? Christian? Okay. Well, I wouldn't tell them that either. And I won't tell the church that formal membership is some oppressive obligation that has no real value. That making a formal commitment is not that big of a deal. That as long as we just love one another, that's good enough. I won't say that. It's the exact opposite of what is true. Many people just don't want to be accountable to anyone. So they don't like commitment. And the other one is they don't want to be accountable to anyone. Let alone an entire local church and its leadership. As John Piper said in the video, we sometimes resist formal membership because of, and I agree with him, sometimes it may not be true for you, of an American independent, give me elbow room, don't get in my face too often conviction. Stay out of my business. My business is my business. You have no business in my business. This is an A to B conversation. See your way out of it. You know, have you heard that one? 
But beloved, that is not the nature of the church, okay? That's all I'm saying. That's not, I understand that. I get that. But it's not the nature of the church to be like that. We are in each other's business for the sake of sanctification, for the sake of growing in the Lord, for the sake of accountability, for the sake of the witness of Christ. We are in each other's business in a loving way, in a caring way. Beloved, we need accountability. I need accountability. Just so you know, I'm a member. I'm not telling you to do something I haven't done. I'm a member. I'm accountable to a board of elders. If I get out of line, I will answer to those men. You want that, don't you? You don't want some crazy lunatic up here, just a tyrant, can do whatever he wants with no accountability? There's a lot of churches like that. And even good men without accountability can fall badly. Oh, I need to be accountable. You need to be accountable, beloved. If you want to be changed for the better and become like Jesus Christ, remember, we're going to need to be accountable. The church, by the way, is not man's idea, just so you know. It's not something we invented, but it's actually God's idea. And he, as I said earlier, has chosen the church as the instrument the organism that he uses to change his people. That's why church is so important. But if you won't make a formal commitment to that church, say, baby, I'm in. I'm in, I'm here, I'm under that authority, I'm in that accountability, I'm making that commitment. If you won't do that, then you put yourself out here, always always like this. Come on. Yeah, I'll take note. Always like this. And that will hinder your growth. It will hinder your sanctification. The idea of the church assumes that God's people are willing to be held accountable for their lives in a local church. So I said we're going to briefly consider the why and why not of formal church membership so that we might understand it and embrace it as meaningful, not meaningless. And again, you know, we have a limited period of time. But I live by a motto. And here's the motto. A man convinced against his will is of the same mind still. So let me explain what I mean. I don't want people to commit to formal church membership because they are guilted or pressured or manipulated into it. Uh, That would be completely pointless and useless where you feel like I got to do this because someone's putting heat on me. Rather, my hope and prayer is that those who attend Summit will see that church membership is meaningful and important and they will, due to a voluntary change of mind and heart, seriously consider making the commitment. A voluntary change of mind and heart. That is if you haven't already. Okay? And then that means you would take the necessary steps to complete the process. Let me just give you one way to do that. If you're thinking about this or maybe you want to think about it some more, at any point, you can say on here, I am interested in church membership. It's one of the options on the connection card. And you can drop it into the connection card box and then we can begin a conversation about that and what that means and what it looks like and the details of that. That's one way. Some of you have membership applications. 
but I still don't have them. So what you could do is complete those and bring them back. That would be another way. Some of you remain unconvinced that this is important. So I just would want you to pray and think about these things. Maybe listen to the sermon again. Maybe do a little more research. Just so you know, beloved, maybe another church says it's not important, but this one does. So you've got to think that through. We want you to become a church member. Just interesting, too. I'm way out of time, Jason. Way. It's terrible. And here again, I've hurt these people in the nursery. I'm telling you. I'm going to pay a price for that someday in heaven. I can just, just know it. That's not good theology, beloved. That's not good theology, what I just said. Um, you know when we, if you go to sign up for, maybe you don't know this, but if we ever go to get a church loan, do you know they want to know how many members we have? They aren't interested in our attendees. They don't care about how many people attend the church. They want to know how many people have signed the line and are committed to your body. Why do you think they do that? I mean, if a business can recognize the seriousness and importance of people who have signed the line, why can't we? Whether you do or don't, let me close with this. Whether you do or don't commit to church membership formally, as Robin did this morning, you will always be loved here as long as I'm the pastor. You will always be loved here. You will always be welcomed unless you turn into a false teacher, and then we will boot you out. (laughs) With love, of course. (laughs) But we will regularly and continually encourage all of our non-members but faithful attendees who work so hard and do so much here, we will continue to regularly encourage you towards formal church membership. Okay? So think about it. I would love nothing more than to have a a good grouping of people to come into membership who have yet to do that, who have been faithfully attending here and and giving and serving. I hope that you will see that this is meaningful and enter into this formal commitment with us. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for this group of people. Father, I pray that you will do something significant You already have, Lord, with this body, but you will continue to do great things with this body, not for our glory, not for our fame, not for our name, but for yours. That you would be lifted up, that you would be magnified, that you would be made large and huge in this community, that people would get saved, and that means their lives would be changed, and they'd come out from under the grip of sin and be able to live radically different and avoid the many terrible consequences that come living apart from Christ and and out from under His authority. Father, I pray You would take this message this morning in some way and use it to further a, a desire for a more deeper and serious and meaningful commitment to this local body. That, Father, people would wrestle with it. They wouldn't just blow it off. But they would seriously think about the implications of formal church membership and see the benefits of it and the importance of it. For those who have already become members, that they might understand it a little bit better. And for those who have not, that they might enter in. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.